I, you know, I might be willing to explore some other possibilities too. So on that note, can we talk about the ego now <laughs> instead of wine? Are we drunk enough? Oh, Are we right. drunk enough on the vineyard? <laughs> Oh my, here we are. Uh, we should stop whining. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or at least break out the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so the other day when Lynn did such a great class on the second half of chapter four, guess who didn't hit the record button? And guess, guess who didn't remind me, Dave, to hit the record button? <laughs> <laughs> When did it become my job? So, <laughs> it's becoming uh, just job right it. now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think we're recording. And um, so we're going to go. It's never the same anyway. And new things always jump out at everybody, including us, when we go over anything. So we're going to go sort of over the last half of Chapter 4. Um, some things that Lynn didn't cover the other day, a few things that she did touch on. Um, uh, I'll go, I'll go first <laughs> and I'll, I'll touch on some of the highlights overall of chapter four and then, um, and then Lynn will end the session specifically with the last section in, uh, chapter four on creation, is it creation and communication? Yeah, <laughs> I got it right. Creation and communication. But for now, I want to, uh, as an opening meditation, Turn to page 65 in the text, and this is at the end of section four on um, the ego body illusion, and it's paragraph 11. It's the last uh, paragraph in that section. And what, I, what I felt drawn to do and, and what felt like should be the focus of tonight, at least in the first half of this session on chapter four, is, is looking at how often throughout this chapter Jesus references the choice between him and the ego and really, really um, plays that out, <laughs> what that looks like, how painful it is when we choose the ego and how painful it isn't when we choose him. Uh, later on in chapter five, he'll kind of extend that to the choice being between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, what that looks like, what that feels like. Um, but for now, he's really emphasizing the choice it's all through this chapter um, for that the uh, choice is between him and the ego as our guide, as our internal teacher. At one point he says he, he's willing to do that because we kind of threw the, our guide away. He actually has a phrase like that. <laughs> we kind of threw the Holy Spirit away. So Jesus is going to step up until we're not so afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of him too, but we're probably more afraid of the Holy Spirit <laughs> was, uh, was the indication. And so he's going to step up and fill in for the Holy Spirit until we get there, until we get to that kind of expanded awareness of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, on page 65, paragraph 11, he says, I, Jesus, dude, I don't attack your ego. And this isn't a fight. <laughs> this isn't like what the old Chariton cigarette commercial, and I'm really dating myself in the 50s. I'd rather fight than switch. I, or maybe that was Lucky Strike. I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't fight with the ego. It just doesn't pay attention to it, <laughs> which, which is why he's so infuriating sometimes. Because <laughs> we're trying to whine and dine on our egos, and he just, uh, you know, he just ignores it. So he says, I do not attack your ego. 
I do, however, work with your higher mind, i.e. your right mind, i.e. that part of us that's willing to look at the tiny mad idea of separation and look at it from his point of view, it's silly. I do work with your higher mind, the home of the Holy Spirit, whether you're asleep or awake. <laughs> He's always in there. He's always doing something. And, uh, and you know, I mean, you, you can actually, you know, have actual sleeping dreams about Jesus. <laughs> if you kind of invite him into that dream, too, as much as we need to invite him into this dream. Whether you're asleep or awake, just as your ego does with your lower mind, the wrong mind, which is the ego's home. I am your vigilance in this. Use me as your guide. Use me as your teacher. Because you are too confused to recognize your own hope. <laughs> you're way too messed up right now. Just don't even worry about anything. Just let me in. <laughs> Give me a chance. I'm not mistaken. Of course, we're mistaken about everything. We're seeking for love in all the wrong places. Your mind will elect, elect to join with mine, and together we are invincible. Like Superman, like the Uberman. <laughs> we become the all-powerful. You and your brother will yet come together in my name, and your sanity will be restored. The confusion will be gone. We'll realize who we truly are. We won't be looking for grievances. And we'll be able to move through a day much more peacefully. And then uh, if you turn again to page 69 in the text, at the top of the page, in, uh, let's see. Yeah, let's look at paragraph 7. He continues, I will go with you. I, Jesus, will go with you to the Holy One. And through my perception, the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, can bridge the little gap that we've put between ourselves and each other, that we've put between God and ourselves, that we've put between Jesus and ourselves, that little gap. Your gratitude to your brother is the only gift I want. Interesting phrase. <laughs> Jesus wants us to give him something. We're always asking him for something. <laughs> but he, he wants a gift in return. He, and all he's asking for is that you be grateful for your brother instead of condemning the crap out of him all the time <laughs> and pointing your finger at him and saying he's the reason you're upset. I want you to actually learn to be grateful for your brother. <laughs> and then it goes on. And I will bring that gift of gratitude, being grateful for, to your brother, to God for you, knowing that to know your brother is to know God. And he's really setting up, I guess it's kind of a syllogism. If we really know the true identity of our brother, we begin to realize our own true identity, and then we begin to realize the oneness of everything. And, he, and that's where he's going with this. Through your gratitude, through your appreciating your brother instead of condemning him, you come to know your brother and one moment of real recognition of who he is and who you are makes everyone your brother because each of them is your father. He means this really literally. <laughs> that Whatever that experience of oneness is, that's where we're shooting for here. So we start with all the blocks we're putting up, all the resentments, all the grievances, all the finger pointing, and we look at those and we're willing to 
ask Jesus to help us see our brother beyond all that, all that kind of stuff. And then as an opening meditation, um, Lynn, you want to read paragraph 8 on that page, on page 69, and we'll get quiet for a few moments. Sure. I'm thinking as I read these that um, you put yourself in this picture and in these words and that you have a brother in mind um, as we read these so that it has real meaning for you because that's all that matters. <laughs> we're not doing the course if we're just talking theory. This is just about me and no one else. So he's saying to me, as I come closer to a brother, you approach me, you approach Jesus. As I come closer to my brother, I am in the process of becoming closer to Jesus. And as you withdraw from him, I become distant to you. Salvation is a collaborative venture. It cannot be undertaken successfully by those who disengage themselves from the sonship because they are disengaging themselves from me. God will come to you only as you will give him to your brothers. Learn first of them and you will be ready to hear God. That is because the function of love is one. And we'll get quiet for a few moments, invite Jesus into our awareness, and um, we'll continue. And gently, here we go. <laughs> I've gotten away from saying come back because I don't want to come back anymore, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> so yeah, here we go, Jesus. We're ready. <laughs> Let's go for it. Um, so uh, what he's setting up in this chapter four is, is, is just really how how bad the ego is. <laughs> and he's trying to spell it out for us and how painful it is to hang on to it. And it really, really, really points out how we're choosing it all the time, that we're not feeling anything that's not peace. And then on top of that, we're, we're denying that's what we're doing. <laughs> that we're doing something that's silly, that's stupid. And then we blame the responsibility for our lack of peace and all these really terrible things we're feeling, anxious, conflict, guilt, et cetera, and we're blaming the source of that on our brother. So those two, those two themes are key, that it is a conscious choice at first, and then we totally repress that and project the blame for it on somebody else. Probably 
I don't know, for me, at least at this point, looking at this chapter four, the most poignant thing, and this, this could have been in chapter 31, I think, this section four is like totally mind-blowing. This, this reframing of everything we're feeling that's bad, the guilt, the anxiousness, the fatigue, the, the anxiety, he says, this need not be. <laughs> and he just takes it and he says it again. And he says it again. And he says it again. You're choosing this and this need not be. So uh, those are the kind of two ideas we have to kind of get comfortable with. Even intellectually, the possibility I might be choosing this and the possibility that maybe it, it doesn't have to be this way, <laughs> that I could actually choose something else if I am choosing this. And, and then this need not be uh, page 62, paragraph one. Once again, if you can't hear the voice for God, it's because, it's not because he ain't talking to you. Like Alexa was pointing out the other day in chapter, I mean, in lesson 49, God speaks to us all through the day, but nowhere in that lesson does it say we listen. <laughs> we're not listening. We don't want to hear it. Yeah, we're like that scream, the scream guy, you know. <laughs> ears are covered <laughs> it is because you don't do not choose to listen that you do listen to the voice of your ego is demonstrated by your attitudes your feelings and your behavior you know there's a part of us that feels like crap <laughs> yet this is what you want this is what we're choosing now you know like on a good ego day we have no awareness we can't have any awareness that we're actually choosing this otherwise we'd let it go in a heartbeat so part of the ego's plot as if the ego is not really part of us but part of our own plot against ourselves is to pretend it's not our fault and get caught up with all these tangential issues in the world and say that's the reason i'm upset not because i'm doing something silly like i'm choosing not to listen to the holy spirit and then line three, yet this is what you want, and this is what you're even fighting to keep. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're duking it out with whatever your image of Jesus is all the time. Like, get out of here. <laughs> I'm doing it my way. We're all, we're all Frank Sinatra singing, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. This is what you're fighting to keep and what you're vigilant to save. Paragraph two. I've said that you cannot change your be mind by changing your behavior. That was a huge section in, in, on page 29 in chapter 2 where he's really specifically saying this is not, not, not a course about behavior. This is not a course about what you do or not do. This is all a course about changing your mind about who your teacher is. Line 2. When your mood tells you that you have chosen wrongly, meaning if you're feeling anything less than peace right now, this is so whenever you are not joyous, then know this not be. And then he, he just hammers home that it's all because we're hanging on to a grievance here. He doesn't use that word or phrase till lesson 68 in the workbook, but he, that's what he says in line three. In every case, you have thought wrongly about some brother God created and are perceiving images your ego makes in a darkened glass. I know who the bad guy is. I know who robbed me of my peace. And I can, I can tell you I am upset for the reason I think. The opposite of lesson five. And so this need not be. <laughs> we don't have to be choosing the ego. We don't have to be going through a day that, you know, is, is pains coming and going all day long. He goes on, um, 
let's see, it looks like it's paragraph two. No, paragraph three, first sentence, when you're sad, <laughs> this need not be. Line three, remember that you are deprived of nothing except by your own decisions. It's amazing how many different ways he came, comes up for, with saying that. <laughs> you chose this. You, you decided this. It, it was what you wanted. It, it was what you really, really um, chose to do. And, and then you decide otherwise, meaning then you, you pretend you didn't choose this. <laughs> you decide it's your brother's fault. <laughs> That's the, he's the reason I'm upset. Some people are hanging out in Winefield, and I'm not. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever the situation is. Uh, paragraph four, when you're anxious, know this not be. Paragraph five, when you feel guilty, know this not be. Paragraph six, when you're dispirited and fatigued, know this not be. And it's just... <laughs> it's just is like really i just i, I keep seeing him in, in chapter 29 or 30 doing this you know like bam 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 <laughs> like that kind of like whew, zeroed in on what needs to be done and what is going on so uh, this is what he's talking about this if if we're choosing ego all this stuff is in in place and then on top of that we're pretending we're not choosing ego and we're blaming it on somebody or something else so this this relationship of choosing Jesus over the whole over the ego, that he's really he even starts the whole chapter with section one on page fifty-three. It's called right teaching and right learning, <laughs> meaning choose me as the right teacher. <laughs> choose me as the teacher instead of your, you know, this ego thing you've made up to insist on separation and then project it onto the world, the, the blame for it. So page fifty-four in section one and this looks like it's paragraph four middle of the paragraph it's at the top of page 54 he, he's describing his role when he becomes our teacher when we invite him into this process he says line four at the top once again page 54 you dream of a separated ego and and believe in a world that rests upon it so i mean that's that's the we believe in the wrong mind. We believe we separated. We make up the, the story of sin, guilt, and fear. And then we project all that onto the poor world and all these little stick figures running around in it. So we, believe, we dream of a separated ego, of a separated state from our father. And then we believe in the world that rests upon it, the world that we've projected all this inner guilt on. This is very real to you. <laughs> You know, we, we, we developed these five senses that prove to us the world is real. And even more importantly, it proves to us who the bad guy is, who, who's robbing me of my peace. That's what the five senses are really for. We, we thought it was just to see a nice movie or, or taste some good food. Nah, it was to prove who the bad guy was. <laughs> that's the purpose of the five senses from the ego's point of view. But don't ever admit that's what's going on. So you cannot undo this whole thing. Oh, you cannot un undo it by not changing your mind about it. This is a course about mind changing, not about behavior changing. You cannot undo this process of choosing to be a separated ego and projecting it on the world unless you change your mind about it. If, 
And this is where he comes in. If you're willing to renounce the role of guardian, <laughs> you took the role of protector. <laughs> you're the guy, you're the angel at the gate of hell, <laughs> and you're not going to let Jesus in. If, if you're willing to renounce the role of guardian of your thought system and open it to me, me, Jesus, I will correct it. Like Dave likes to point out, very gently. <laughs> He's not going to come in and beat us up. He doesn't attack the ego. He's a real nice guy about this. Sometimes we think he's too nice. <laughs> We'd like him to come in and, and, you know, trash the temple because the temple's looking pretty bad. But he won't, you know, he's not a temple trasher. It's not, it's not his style. It's not his M.O. That was just a made-up story, certainly from the Course's point of view. <laughs> Jesus never got mad about stuff. <laughs> and he doesn't get mad now. So I will correct it very gently and lead you back to God. I mean, how sweet's that? <laughs> what a deal. Go ahead, Bruce. I was going to say, besides, it would look really funny if he's, you know, thrashing around trying to, trying to um, you know, dispel a hologram, right? I mean, <laughs> punching empty. Fruitless yeah. Shadow boxing, right? <laughs> Shadow boxing, right? Very good. And then I love this line in, in, in paragraph six, line three. And this, I, I, I'm miss uh, pointing this out the other day, working on chapter four, but this is such a comforting line for me anyway. He says, I will teach, I will teach with you and live with you if you will think with me. I will teach with you and live with you. I mean, you know, like how brother to brother is that? How hanged I is that? <laughs> I will teach with you and I will live with you if you just think with me instead of the ego. But my goal will always be to absolve you finally from the need for me. <laughs> you just need to wake up and see we're all one big me. <laughs> You're part of me, I'm part of you, we're all part of each other and we're all connected with our Father. What's the, the other, we're so on Beatles songs, I am you and you are me and we are something all together. <laughs> I am the egg man. <laughs> this is the opposite of the ego-oriented teacher's goal, which is to maintain separation and blame somebody else for the responsibility of choosing that. He is concerned with the effect of his ego on other egos meaning that teacher, <laughs> that teacher we call the ego, it maintains separation and the effect that all these seemingly separate egos, especially in time and space, are having on each other. Because those are the effects we're insisting the reason we're, we're upset. Why we don't have peace, it's because of all those things that are affecting our peace in the world. So he's uh, concerned with the effect of his ego on other egos. You ripped me off. <laughs> Your ego ripped off my ego. And therefore interprets their interaction as a means of ego preservation. If you can rip me off, that proves that you and I are separate. <laughs> if I can rip you off, it proves you and I are separate. If Jesus doesn't help me fix you, it, it proves to me that <laughs> you and I are separate. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is, whatever game we're playing in terms of the separation, we're, we're insisting we're not joined, we're insisting we're not still innocent, and now we're trying to improve it, fix it, blame somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Special love and special hate, that's what they are. 
Special Love says, oh, we'll make a bargain for a while and I'll feel better, maybe. Special Hate says, I already know you're the bad guy and you should go to hell. <laughs> they took that out. <laughs> Jesus was being very gentle when he was describing special relationships. But that's what it said in no, it didn't. <laughs> but anyway, that's the gist of it. Um, let's see. Let's go on to page 56. Once again, I'm just kind of pointing out all the places where he, like almost every other page, is pointing out his relationship with us and encouraging us to choose him instead of the ego. So this is uh, paragraph 13. It's at, at the end of section one, and it's line four. I can be entrusted with your body and your ego only, only because this enables you not to be concerned with them. <laughs> well, that's an interesting trade-off. <laughs> I don't have to worry about my body anymore. I don't have to worry about this crazy internal ego teacher. I just turn the whole package over to him. <laughs> Let him deal with it. <laughs> that's a pretty good deal. And lets me teach you their unimportance, meaning they're not real, meaning you're not upset for the reason you think, <laughs> meaning everything you see means nothing. Lesson one, their unimportance. And then, you know, he's, he's really been supportive here, line five. I could not understand their importance from an ego point of view to you if I had not once been tempted by believing in them myself. I, I, I don't think there was a lot of temptation. I mean, he's kind of really just being really very gentle there. <laughs> I don't think he was tempted very much or very long. <laughs> he was that part of the sonship that woke up right away as soon as the tiny mad idea seemed to pop into our awareness. I mean, he was the voice of the resurrection right from the get-go. Whenever that tiny mad idea seemed to happen, and he's the voice of resurrection right now. Is that, is that part of us that brings us back to the awareness of how unimportant the body and the ego are? <laughs> Basically, they mean nothing. Our true identity as one son of God is still intact. And then, you know, this is, this is hang die. This is, we're doing this together. I, I will teach with you and I will live with you. Line six, let us undertake to learn this lesson together. So we can be free of the ego and the body and how important we've made them together. So he's invited, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can't get rid of them. You never could. <laughs> you try, we tried real hard. I mean, we wake up with him, we go through a day with him, and we end the, you know, and then we invite him into our dreams. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a bad guy to hang out with here. <laughs> He's very supportive. He's very gentle. He's not going to come in and beat anybody up. On the contrary, he's going to include everybody. That's one of the infuriating things is he doesn't leave anybody out. Infuriating from an ego point of view. Uh, page 63. Page 63, and this is right in the middle of this section on this need not be. He reinforces his presence here. <laughs> he reinforces you, you always have this option to choose him and this pain you're going through and need not be. That's what he says in paragraph two. Looks like it's line nine. Long sentence. 
and this is on page 63 in the text, paragraph 2, line 9, as, as a loving brother, as somebody who's living with us, <laughs> as a loving brother, I am deeply concerned with your mind and urge you to follow my example as you look at yourself and at your brother. Be willing to see your brother the way I see them. Be willing to see yourself the way I see you. As you look at yourself and your brother and see in both the glorious creations of a glorious father. That's the way he sees our brother. That's the way he sees us. All of us. <laughs> it doesn't leave anybody out. Any thoughts, comments, questions about any of that stuff so far? Then uh, he goes on, <laughs> page 64, let's see, paragraph 8, this is uh, paragraph 8 in, in section 4, line 3, your mind and my mind can unite in shining your ego away. We just, he just flicks on the light and the ego evaporates back into the nothingness from which it came. You turn on the light in a dark room and the darkness evaporates. <laughs> the darkened glass that he says we see our brothers in all the time gets bright, gets cleaned up, and we just see a reflection of our true glorious nature. Releasing the strength of God into everything you think and do. Do not settle for anything less than this. <laughs> you know, get tough with yourself. <laughs> Be vigilant. Give yourself a break. You know, ask Jesus for help. Do not settle for anything less than this and refuse to accept anything but this as your goal. Watch your mind carefully for any beliefs that hinder its accomplishment. And then page 67. This is in section 6. And looks like it's paragraph 3. So, you know, Helen's been working for at least three, three and a half chapters now with Jesus. And, and he says to her in paragraph three, you still have very little trust in me. <laughs> and basically, he's saying that to all of us, certainly as beginner course students. I mean, we're testing the waters here. <laughs> we're giving him a little opening to see what, what he can do. You still have very little trust in me as yet, but, but it will increase as you turn more and more often to me instead of to your ego. Give me a shot. You know, let me in. Let me show you something else. Let me show you you're not upset for the reason you think and that you could say to yourself, this, whatever it is, need not be. I don't have to identify with a crazy ego that's looking for trouble all the time. Um, let's see. And more and more often to me instead of your ego for guidance. The results will convince you. The results will convince you increasingly that the choice is the only sane one you can make. <laughs> no one who learns from experience that one choice brings peace and joy while another brings chaos and disaster needs additional convincing. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> Give Jesus a chance. The old 1960s thing, give peace a chance. Jesus is saying, give him a chance. 
this will bring you peace. This will bring you the joy you're looking for. And the chaos and disaster will just evaporate back into the nothingness from which they came. So you can see throughout this whole thing, he's really reinforcing this process, reinforcing our, you know, trying to get us to be a little bit willing to let him in and, and, exper and experiment with that. Try it. You might like it. Um, section five is all about um, the body. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it must have been quite a conversation going on <laughs> between Helen and, and Jesus in this, um, in this section. Because a lot of the personal stuff in these first four chapters was taken out. And so the, these, this section seems to be one of the ones where it's really I had to read it like three or four times to begin to get a sense of what he might have been talking about. Um, for example, in paragraph two, we're on page uh, 65, paragraph two in section five, the ego body illusion. A major source of the ego's off-balance state. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> I've called the ego a lot of stuff, but I don't know if I've called it an off-balance state. <laughs> More like wacky, crazy, insane, etc. A major source of the ego's off-balance state is its lack of discrimination between the body and the thoughts of God. Well, one, one thing that's not inherently clear right this second is the thoughts of God, later on, he'll describe as our true identity. So what he's saying here, we have an identity crisis. We think we're a body, and then, and then we don't know how to like to redefine that in terms of, of our true identity as the thought of God. Meaning we don't have to discriminate the two. <laughs> we keep the ego keeps combining them <laughs> and, and makes the thought of God responsible for the body. The two don't have if he teaches anything in this section is the thought of God that we truly are and the ego and the body that we think we are, they don't have they don't connect. Spirit knows nothing of the ego. He says that a couple of times in this section. The thought of God that you are has no connection at all with, with you being a body or an ego. None. <laughs> None. He's very uncompromising in that. We don't bring the Holy Spirit into the world, into the illusion to fix it. I mean, we try like hell. <laughs> and we wish he would. But that would only make the illusion real to us or more real. So he, he, the, our identity as one son of God has nothing to do with the ego has nothing to do with the wrong mind, has certainly nothing to do with the wine field behind Bruce and all of our wine fields, <laughs> wherever that's at. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. I mean, we, you know, as, as, as healthy egos, we're always trying to bring Jesus or God into the dream to fix it, which makes the dream real without even us being aware that's what we're trying to do. I think Jesus also points out that the wine field is really a minefield. <laughs> unfortunately, we can't get blown up because our real identity isn't there. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, and then line two: thoughts of God are unacceptable to the ego. Well, of course they are. That's your true identity. <laughs> the ego is trying to make up its own identity <laughs> as a separated thing apart from God. So if it allows the true thought of God that you are into your awareness, it's going to blow the whole ego game. 
which is what Jesus is trying to do, is to blow the whole ego game. Um, because they clearly point to the non-existence of the ego itself. Well, here the poor little ego is just trying to hang on to some existence. Of course, it's not going to let the awareness <laughs> of, of the thought of God, our true identity, into our awareness. <laughs> it's gone the second we do that, because it's non-existent to begin with. And later on, he, you know, he talks about, um, actually, it was in, uh, in, one, in one of these sections, he, he talks about, we talk about the ego like it's it's the devil, like the devil made me do it. No, it's just us convincing ourselves we're separate. It's just us convincing ourselves we're an ego and all the trouble we go through to do that. The ego is just a part of us that isn't real, <laughs> trying to insist that it is real. The devil, there's no devil. <laughs> the devil is the thought that I could be separate and I'll show you how. <laughs> That's the thought. That's the ego. So the devil didn't make me do it. The ego didn't make me do it. It's just us pretending we can do it. And that's what he's really trying to point out here. Oh, and then, and then line five gets really murky. <laughs> I don't know. It was murky to me. Line five says, it, the ego therefore tries to conceal not only unacceptable body impulses, but also the thoughts of God, because both are threatening to it. I had to sit with that one for a while. <laughs> and I think what it, you know, what I came up with, what I think it means, is we have all these impulses to kill right off the bat. <laughs> but we get locked up if we do that. <laughs> we can't be as vengeful and as angry and righteous as we would really like to be. <laughs> Body impulses. <laughs> I'm just going to take you out. You're in my way. So we kind of have to learn to bargain and be nice. Otherwise, as bodies, we get locked up, we get put away. Sometimes we get away with it, but it's a lot of work. So we've got all these body impulses because the body is simply a reflection of the ego. And then, and then the body impulses are, if I don't look as bad as I really am, maybe, maybe you'll, you might like me. Lesson 93 is, if you see how bad I think I really am inside, you step on me like I was a snake. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of it. The word snake's in there, the home of evil, darkness, and sin is in there. But that, that's what we're hanging on to. And rather than admit that, we run around with the face of innocence that he talks about in chapter 31, trying to look like we're not as bad as we think we are. And we don't want you to think we're that bad, but we don't want us to think we're that bad either. I mean, I don't want to believe I'm, I'm the home of evil, darkness, and sin. So I'll show you I can be sort of a nice guy sometimes. <laughs> and, and Jesus is just trying to let us help us let that whole game go. We don't have to be doing all that stuff. We're already okay. So the ego tries to conceal, conceal the unacceptable body impulses. I mean, like all that stuff Freud was talking about, <laughs> the dark night of the soul inside. Like, don't look and see how dark it is. Because you might go in there and then be willing to let it go because it's just so ridiculously bad. And it doesn't want you to know that you're a thought of God, that your true identity is still intact. So it, basically, it blots out, <laughs> it blots out our, our, our true identity, but it also blots out that it exists too in our awareness. And now we're often running as bodies. We think we know where we're upset. And we think we know who the bad guy is. 
So the, it's an inter- interesting place, unacceptable body impulses. <laughs> I, I think you could have used a whole bunch of different words there. <laughs> and then uh, paragraph four is always a trip. Um, and this is where he's talking about, and, and Ken goes this, into this a lot when he's talking about um, kind of portraying the drama that we went through in our mind when we first looked at the tiny man idea and you had the ego as a lawyer and I had the Holy Spirit as a lawyer and you had the judge was the decision maker and he's trying to listen to both sides of trying to prove, ego's trying to prove the tiny man idea of separation is real and why we should run with it and the Holy Spirit saying it's silly and then finally we of course, we, we choose the elephant under the table, we choose the ego, and we run with, with the idea of separation. But paragraph four in, in the middle, he says, therefore the mind asks, you know, because it's realizing it's choosing the ego, which could be a road to hell. <laughs> this could be really bad. And, you know, I'm going to believe I could get hurt. And eventually the story tells me that God's going to punish me for what I did. So the ego says, where can I go for protection? <laughs> oh, please tell me, Mr. Lawyer Ego, wh- what can I do? And the ego says, don't worry about it. <laughs> Turn to me. I got a plan. <laughs> Ken used to say, whenever a president said something like that, I got a plan, run like hell. <laughs> I got a plan. Because the ego had a plan. <laughs> what do I do now? I'm choosing you and, and all hell's going to break loose. How am I going to be protected here? And the ego does a very interesting thing. He obliterates the question, meaning he takes that whole process of sin, guilt, and fear and projects it on the world, and now we don't even know we have a mind that's asking a question, <laughs> like, who am I, <laughs> and how could I be this thing? Now we just assume that we're these creatures in the world running around at the mercy of other creatures. So that's the way the ego obliterates the question. It projects the whole mess, the whole story of the wrong mind onto the world, and we don't remember that we even ask the question, where do I go for protection? Because the ego was, you know, as a separated being trying to believe it's separate, we would have never said to ourselves, well, go to the Holy Spirit, we'll just let the whole thing go. I mean, that voice is always there and it's still there, but we just have to remember that we have the opportunity and the option to choose that voice instead of the voice we did choose which obliterated our awareness of the ego in the first place and that we do have a choice so i think that's what he's saying throughout this entire (laughs) like like choose choose uh choose the holy spirit instead of the ego basically you'll feel better oh and it, it really is in section six the rewards of god where jesus really talks about spirit does not know uh ego and ego does not know spirit. One of the ways Ken used to describe it back in the Roscoe days, when the foundation was in Roscoe, New York, he said, the ego's real fear was not that of the Holy Spirit. But the ego was, ego. once we identified with an ego, with a separate self, the way Ken would put it, he said, at that point, you were aware there was another option, but basically you had pushed that option out of your awareness, and you were afraid that if you went back to the decision maker, you would choose something else. Ken would say, it could be a bag of peanuts, but whatever it was, it wasn't the ego. (laughs) There was another option you could choose, 
And what we were really afraid of was going back to that decision-making point and choosing the other option. But the ego does not know what that other option is. It has no sense of spirit. It has no sense of joining. It has no sense of forgiveness. It has no sense of looking at the tiny mad idea of separation and not taking it seriously. So it's really afraid of that choice point. That's when Ken does his diagram a lot, he, he focuses on that. What we're really afraid to do is go back to the decision-making making power of decision in our minds where we can choose another option. There's an interesting little take on that. <laughs> and uh, he didn't say it a whole lot when he got to Temecula, but I certainly remember that from the old days. The bag of peanuts thing. <laughs> Started calling the Holy Spirit a bag of peanuts. <laughs> whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit was, I just did not want my, my decision maker to choose something else. <laughs> any, any, anything about that stuff? So uh, that's another take on chapter four, <laughs> and I'll let, uh, let um, invite, invite Lynn in to discuss the last section, section seven on creation and communication. I, ju I just have one thought is, is when you were sharing a few moments ago, I was thinking, well, the, the ego's alternatives are basically damned if you do, damned if you don't, um, and the Holy Spirits are forgiven if you do, forgiven if you don't, because what... <laughs> The, the stuff of it is to be forgiven doesn't matter because it's, it never happened. And, uh, but the ego makes such a big deal of it. And so it damns regardless because it believes it did. So, you know, just kind of crossed my mind. It's like that there's pretty stark differences between the two thought systems. Yeah. It, it, it's not just an insistency there's sin, but <laughs> there's an insistency. There's a whole hierarchy of sin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's where all the conflict comes from. That's where all the deliberation comes from. That's all where all the which sin do I choose <laughs> in any given moment? <laughs> Relative sin. And that's what the, you know, the ego, the ego's idea of communication is to communicate that. Relative sin. <laughs> there is a hierarchy of illusions, but we're not calling it illusions. But anyway, right, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, it, it, it was interesting um, hearing you go through a section that I did, I don't know, a night or two ago, the um, this need not be section. And, um, I, you know, I, I was um, seeing as you were saying to each thing, you know, if, if you're sad, this need not be. If you're anxious, this need not be. I mean, we could put anything in there, right? You could put any kind of a feeling or emotion um, that you think you're having and you could put in here uh, and, and it would be equally um, useful to what Jesus is suggesting here which is that um, no state that we ascribe to ourselves, no feeling, no emotion, no thought that we ascribe to ourselves um, belongs to us. <laughs> you know, there, there truly is an identification going on here. And he's saying with each one of these, 
not only this need not be, it really can't be unless you insist upon it. It really can't be unless you're so identified with it that you won't be willing, uh, you know, to try me out here and you won't be willing to um, um, let, let this go. Uh, lay it on the altar is another word I've been, way I've been thinking of it lately because in the earlier chapter that I taught a few weeks ago on, um, I think it was chapter one where he talks about the altar and um, the altar is, uh, is the place in the mind where we are invited to bring all of these imagined um, fears, doubts, worries, concern, anxiety, uh, and to bring those to the altar where um, the atonement is. And he said, right, right there next to whatever you bring to it is the atonement, the atonement being um, uh, the Holy Spirit's uh, correction. Uh, and the atonement looks at whatever we bring and looks right beyond it because it is, it is simply something that we have made up. And so uh, the Holy Spirit will teach us if we're really willing, which he's telling us all throughout this, this whole chapter four, you've got to watch your mind. I need devoted teachers who are willing to change their mind, but for whom it is that their aim is to change their mind. And uh, that changing our mind is changing our mind about all of these ideas uh, about what we think we are. You know, all of those ideas he brought up there, guilt, anxiety, worry, doubt, fear, those are all ways in which he calls them the gifts that the ego has given us. And this is how we define ourselves. And he's saying, this need not be, this need not be, you can bring these to me you can bring them to the altar, and it is the Holy Spirit's function, not mine, not yours, to translate them and show you a different way, uh, to show you something that is beyond this definition of yourself, something beyond. And um, this, this section on communication, even though um, I really had to slog my way through it because uh, as Tim has been pointing out, the, the early chapters can be rough and he doesn't get to a point um, uh, in a very clear way. Sometimes it feels like, you know, we're, we're having to go around in circles a little bit until we get to the point. Um, and again, reminding me that uh, um, he's talking to Helen. Um, so communication, um, what the truth is, well, let me just go to that, uh, let me just go to the lesson uh, the other day, Alexa was talking about uh, uh, lesson 49, just as a backdrop for um, 
what we're going to be looking at here in communication. It's lesson 49. And uh, when will I ever learn to write down the pages? <laughs> Whoever gets there first, it's a race. Uh, lesson 49. And it is on page, we're getting close. 49, all right, 79, excuse me, 78. God's voice speaks to me all through the day. This is non-negotiable, it, it is a fact. We are a mind within the mind of God and it is a fact that we are in communication always and ever, and we can't be outside of this communication. We can block communication. We can be unwilling to accept that we are in communication, but we can't change the fact that we are in communication. So he says, it's quite possible to listen to God's voice all through the day without interrupting your regular activities in any way. Now, this is something course students, we often think, Oh, if only I had days just to myself, I didn't have to go to work, I didn't have to do anything but just read the course, then I could hear the voice for God. Then I could really practice. No, 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 he says, without interrupting your activities, you can go about your activities throughout the day and be in communication with your source, your creator, and the one who loves you and wants you to have everything, that one. The part of your mind in which truth abides is in constant communication with God, your right mind, the Holy Spirit mind, constant communication with God. Whether you are aware of it or not, it is the other part of your mind that functions in the world and obeys the world's laws. It is this part that is constantly distracted, disorganized, and highly uncertain. The part that is listening to the voice for God is calm, always at rest, and wholly certain. It is really the only part there is. So the other is imagined, and all of the things that we make up that are keeping us from this experience of being in communication with everything is all made up. So we could stop that at any time in, in the chapter on the Holy Instant. He says, you know, would you be willing to lay all that aside and just come into the awareness of um, that what you are, the beingness that you are, not the body that you are, not all the attributes you've assigned to yourself that you are, but the pure beingness that we share with one another. That perfect recognition that that beingness is in you, it's the same beingness in me, it's the same beingness in the birds that I watch, it's the same beingness of anybody I pass on the street. Beingness is our shared identity. 
and it is in perfect communication. That's why he says, all things, everything that is happening is, is for your good, is for the good of all. It cannot be any other way. But we have a choice here. We have a choice that we have to make as to which teacher we are going to be listening with. Am I going to be listening with the Holy Spirit? Am I going to be listening for the voice for God through my ego? If I'm listening with my teacher, with Jesus or the Holy Spirit, I, I have no past that I can bring with me. No idea of how I think this communication is going to happen. And it happens in the most exquisite, unimaginable, beautiful ways that, that, that bless ourselves and bless our brother simultaneously. Simultaneously. It isn't something that I get and my brother doesn't get. It, it just cannot be that way. That would not be true. That would not be communication. The communication is already there and I am either engaged in it and enjoying it and celebrating it and experiencing it or I am not. Uh, this this set, sentence that uh, or paragraph that that Tim read was the one I had saved to read as as a as a beginning for our time together and it's on sixty nine and it says as you come closer to a brother you approach me and as you withdraw from him I become distant to you salvation is a collaborative venture. It cannot be undertaken successfully by those who disengage from the sonship. Our beingness is a done deal. We are united in that communication and we cannot have this experience with our brother as long as we're disengaging from that sonship from that beingness that we are in this very moment sharing with each other and knowing it is the truth. It is our natural state of grace. We can think of being in the same way that we think of spirit and as we think of holiness, as we think of the holy instant, but our beingness is clearly seen, clearly recognizable when we stop listening to the voice of the ego, when we stop believing in what it says. And we come to this moment with empty hands and empty minds and are willing to be taught by the Holy Spirit or by Jesus 
Jesus is always here with us. I, I, I always, he, let me teach you. I'm here. I can show you. If, if I'm willing not to know anything, if I'm willing to be completely empty and learn that we are in perfect communication all the time. And what he's going to point out in this section uh, on creation and communication is basically how the ego uses communication, how it uses communication to break communication, to prove that we're separate, to prove that we're different. And so he's exposing that to us so that we can look at it and say, you know, do I really want to do that? Or would I rather accept that we are in perfect communication and let my eyes be opened for me so that I can recognize it? So that I can see what's here that doesn't require any effort at all on my part. I need do nothing. In fact, I must do nothing. I need really come with empty hands. I need do nothing. The ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourself your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be totally unaffected by all your attempts to dissociate it. <laughs> it's like nothing we can do can change this fact of, of perfect communication. But now the trick is, at least for me, is okay, how do I learn that this is so? How do I experience that this is so, so that I trust, I learn to trust always that my teacher is with me, Jesus is with me, God is with me, and they will show me because that's what I want to know. And my, my experience in working with this, in the, since we started, really, when we started the text, which was, God, only a heartbeat ago, maybe a week and a half ago, but it has so raised the bar, I believe, for all of us here, that we are showing up, and we're showing up three times a week, four times a week, five times. Some of you, I, I think I see you, you know, I see you morning, noon, and night, you know, and you see me, like, and I mean, we are devoted students here, and we really, we really want to learn this together. I mean, that's, that's some, uh, a number of years ago, I had a blog, it actually was my first kind of foray into uh, teaching on the internet 
and it was it was called becoming learners together and that's exactly what we're doing here we're learning we're learning true ideas uh, together and this idea that we are in communication always and that we can learn to experience that together is a pretty profound idea i think so um thank you for showing up <laughs> really you know you know jesus is so uh, appreciative of of us who are willing to come here and truly learn his course i mean i i feel like um we're on, we're honored i'm honored you're honored we're all honored to be here uh together and learning learning this together um so we have to look for a minute at how there's jesus <laughs> he's on the screen so let's take a look and be really willing over the next days to look at how our ego thinks about communication and begin to question whether that's really you know the really the way we want to go so i'm on page 69 um let's start with paragraph two i had just read the previous uh paragraph which is the ego is part of the mind that believes its existence is defined by separation everything the ego perceives is a separate whole without the relationships that imply being our beingness is what joins us our beingness is what connects us ego doesn't want to know about being beingness <laughs> trust me because it's the same for everybody it's not different your beingness isn't different from mine and you know the homeless and anybody else that i meet our beingness is the same um the ego is thus against communication except insofar as it is utilized to establish separateness rather than to abolish it to establish separateness you and i are different that makes a difference you know i can use that uh every which way from till forever so long as i can have differences and we need to have specific bodies in order to have that um the communication system of the ego is based on its own thought system as is everything else it dictates its communication is controlled by its need to protect itself that's what's in charge when we're in an ego state what's in charge is the need to protect this identity that we think we've made and it will disrupt communication when it experiences threat don't you love that disrupt communication the entire spiritual universe is in perfect communication and we are in perfect communication with all that is and 
me over here is going to disrupt communication. That's, it's like, it's pretty arrogant, isn't it? <laughs> You'll pay no attention to that thought system behind the curtain, right? That's, again. That's it. That's exactly it. This need not be. We need not break communication. Jesus says it over and over in his course. Do not let your mind slide away. He calls it sliding away. We slide. What do we do? We slide from our beingness back into the dream of specifics. And then we find somebody to blame for that. We break communication with somebody outside of ourselves, but we really already broke communication within, or we would never do that. I know everyone here has had the experience and the feeling of having a day, being in relationship with someone, doing things together, and everything is effortless. You almost don't even need to speak because there is just this knowing, this beingness. We are in a state of being and we can be in our state of being and go through our day. And then we know what it feels like when, you know, it's just a struggle. But that's because we already left our beingness. And now we're looking for a fight, quite honestly. You know, we're looking for an enemy. We're looking for somebody to blame for our discomfort. Nobody says this is easy. This is work. It is for me. You know, when, when you're living and sharing a space with somebody or you're sharing work with somebody and you know, as well as I do, how much of your thinking is about that other person. That whole time I have, uh, uh, I've left my beingness. You know, what do I care what they're doing? But you know, all of the kinds of thinking and, and then trying to second guess somebody, or maybe they'd like this, or maybe they stay in communication with your beingness and you will know what to do or what to say or not to say anything. I mean, it's that effortlessness. If, if our days are a struggle, it's because we're not in communication. I'm not in communication. And it isn't about being in communication, say with Tim, it's about me being in communication with what I truly am. Then there's no problem. It's, it's clear for us what to do and what to say. Is this make this is making sense, isn't it? So <laughs> it nobody said it was going to be easy, but I, I'm finding I cannot make a discipline out of it. It just will not work that way. It has to be that I want this. 
I want, I want to be what I truly am. I, I want to be without fear. And I have help. I have help. I know I have help. And I'm learning more and more that I have help. Every day, you know, as mainly since we entered this curriculum together here, where we're going to go through the text together. And man, every other page, Jesus is like, you know, he's here. And he's like starting out from the very beginning. I'm with you. I will help you. I need devoted teachers. And, uh, you know, you can't be a miracle worker as long as you see yourself as, as being vulnerable. As long as you it, it refuse to see yourself as a mind and you insist that you're a body, then you really can't be a miracle worker because it, you're believing in, in an illusion. <laughs> so it's, it, it's again coming back to our willingness to be in communication with our teacher on, um, on a consistent basis. Um, I, I don't know about you, I wake up in the morning and it's, you know, uh, it's 15, 20 minutes just uh, remembering, ha having to almost re-remember every day what I'm really here for. <laughs> you know, he says, um, learning, what's learning? Learning is remembering and forgetting. <laughs> you know, to, to forget about what isn't so and begin to remember what is so. And what is so is our perfect communication with one another. So, Bruce, uh, Bruce had a comment. Oh, I, thanks, Tim. I, I, I just wanted to share something that, that I'm finding helpful. Um, lately, I've been watching, and uh, thanks partly to Dave uh, and I, uh, a bunch of, while well, I'm multitasking, doing other things usually, but, you know, listening to some just brilliant classical uh, uh, concert pianists. And, and when you watch the skill that they play with and the discipline that they must have had to get to that level of, of being able to perform at that in just, you know, world-class level, you know, I think, I think our culture tends to reinforce the idea of discipline as being this, this punitive, you know, horrible thing. But I think Jesus is, like everything else in the Course, turning it around and saying, wait a minute, if, you, if I can discipline my mind, not, in, not with a whip or anything, but just yeah. out of gentleness and, and discipline myself to just see how much I'm miserable when I'm not controlling my thoughts, that is, I think, you know, taking that concert pianist and uh, discipline to a whole new level. And I think that's what he's asking us to do with the course is, is, you know, eventually get to the point where we look at every single thought and say, I could see peace instead of this. But with that kind of, you know, profound discipline of, of thought that is in, in, inseparable from freedom. Yes. Well, the real freedom that the course is asking us to. Yes. I had a, a relatively new student, um, that I was having a session with the other day. And the course has become so real to her everyday living that um, some of these things that we're learning to use as a correction, such as this need not be, 
you know, uh, or I need do nothing or whatever the message we give to our, can give to ourselves that just stops that going down what I call a tunnel with no cheese. You know, a mouse or a rat will not go down a tunnel that has no cheese at the end of it. He may maybe go once or twice, but he's not going to go for 150 years or a lifetime, you know? <laughs> so, you know, this need not be. Um, and just ways we can correct ourselves throughout the day, because if we go a day or so and we're not in our practice, boy, we can slip slide away. I can slip slide away pretty fast. <laughs> I'll just share that with you. And uh, so, yeah, being, being in our full work here is a, is a real joy to, to share with everyone. Um, let me see here. Jane, Jane has something. Jane. Thank you. I just, in my journey with the course, although courses is not a journey, <laughs> But in it, I finally just realized that I can't control my thoughts. There's no way I can control my thoughts. There is nothing out there because there's nothing out there to help me control my thoughts. We can make our, maybe make our mind, you know, calmer, more peaceful, but basically only giving everything to the Holy Spirit is going to help, is going to make my thoughts be controlled or, you know, be in the right mind and that's that's really important for me to know because when i get into that place where you know i call it chatty kathy or whatever when the ego sees a place to come in and the ego will try all the time you know even though it's not real i have to say to myself i can't control this i cannot control it the only thing i can do is to choose my other teacher yes yes Yes. I'm, I'm going to go back through and change this need not be to this way ain't no cheese. <laughs> this way ain't cheese. <laughs> no cheese down that tunnel. All right, let me see here if I can uh, wrap this up in a minute. Um, he talks on page uh, 69. I just want to point these out at the top of the page, um, excuse me, 70 flip to 70 at the top of the page. Um, sorry, I got to go back to 69 again. Sorry. At the very bottom, uh, let's see, sentence five. This disruption is, to, is a reaction to a specific person or persons. So anytime we're reacting to someone, we're actually breaking communication with our, with our own beingness. Um, the specificity of the ego's thinking then results in spur spurious generalization, which is really not abstract at all. It merely responds in certain ways to everything it perceives as related. In contrast, on the next page, spirit reacts in the same way to everything that it knows is true. Beingness is true. 
spirit in everyone, the light in everyone. Spirit reacts the same way to everyone, no exceptions. I recognize the spirit in you. I recognize the holiness in you. I recognize the beingness in you. I recognize the beingness in a bird or in a tree or it's all recognition of the communication that is constant and consistent. And it does not respond at all to anything else. That's actually um, the atonement. The Holy Spirit re does not react at all to any illusion or uh, anything but the truth. It, it just moves on to the atonement and recognizes the correction. Doesn't the, uh, is it Hindu greeting, namaste? Isn't, isn't that the gist of that? I, I bow to the holiness in you, namaste. Right, right, exactly. I think what Bruce said, um, um, I could see peace instead of this, reminds me the sentence at the top of um, page 70. In contrast, spirit <clears throat> reacts in the same way to everything. It knows is true and does not respond at all to anything else. So in lesson 79, it says, we seem to have many problems. We solve one problem, another problem appears. But in truth, there's only one problem. We've forgotten our identity as spiritual beings, as Christ beings. So the way to stay something that's been mentioned this evening, in constant contact with the Christ mind is to, as often as you can, no matter what the circumstances, however we perceive it as something good or bad, happy or sad, it doesn't matter, is to say to ourselves, I could see peace instead of this. Mm -hmm. The more often we can say that, the, that's the holy instant. Mm -hmm. And the holy instant, as we're taught, is any instant we choose it to be. So if we can choose, I could see peace instead of this, the more often we do that, the more we automatically do that. And Jesus is with us all the time. So in addition to reading the text and having the classes, you know, the beginning of the uh, lessons say a philosophical understanding is necessary, but it's the lessons that teach us how to be there with Christ all the time. And there's one answer to all the problems, and there's one solution to all the problems, no matter what it may be to us. And the ego wants to figure it out. The ego wants to figure out what is this problem and how can I resolve this problem. So the ego is trying to understand and figure itself out. The, the part of the mind, the wrong mind, that caused the problem is trying to say, okay, I caused the problem. And I'm so afraid that the problem could be resolved that I am going to try and solve the problem before the part of the mind, the right mind, can do anything about it. So a simple way to practice, not taking anything away from the classes or doing the lessons, and the, the lessons reprogram the mind to say something like, 
I would step back and let you lead the way. Jesus, please guide me. And or some phrase that you can repeat, like it says in the, how should the teacher of God spend his day? It says, stay in constant contact with the answer. <clears throat> this is the very top of the page. How should the teacher of God spend his day? Stay in constant contact with the answer. And the way to stay in constant contact with the answer is to train the mind gently and slowly and patiently without regret when we forget because we will to say no matter what's going on as i said no matter good or bad i could see peace instead of this i could see peace instead of this i could see peace instead of this no matter what it is it could be you're going to the supermarket and they're out of broccoli, you know, or they're out of toilet paper. It doesn't make a difference. Or you're stuck at a traffic light and you're late for a meeting and you, you think the light's never going to change and I'm going to be late. The answer is always the same. I could see peace instead of this. So it doesn't mean with a coronavirus, if you know someone that's ill, that you don't have compassion for them, that you don't cry about it. But at the same time, I could see peace instead of this. I've given this all the meaning it has for me. I may not believe that now. I may feel fear, doubt, worry, sin, guilt, and all that. But I know I could see peace instead of this. And so the more we can do that or something like that, the more we begin to go automatically to that place, the Christ mind, for the answer to any issue that we seem, as egos, to be having. Thanks, Robert. You're welcome, Lynn. Remember, God always answers immediately, so that's the, you know a, a, the, the only thing I would 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 add is you know don't turn it into a mantra, and and um, you know the experience is always available to us. Uh, you know God doesn't wait on time, and and uh, we should be allowing and and receiving, uh, and and not struggling. Uh, and uh, you know it 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 um hmm. well let's 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 move on <laughs> um, I will close with um, let's see here something just to remind us of our perfect communication, and it is from. The light you bring. And that is on page 527. And again, as we're learning that life is in the mind, which is a tall order since we mostly believe life is in a body. And as we're learning that life is in the mind and that everything is in our mind um, 
and our relationship with our help is in our mind. Our relationship with Jesus is in our mind. Our relationship, it's all, the, with the world is in our mind. And um, as we come closer and closer to uh, closing that imagined gap that seems to separate the, you know, the mind and the idea of the mind with something external, um, there are moments when we have these breakthroughs and this uh, describes uh, the real world. So I'll read this and then we'll take a couple of minutes to, to be together in our beingness before we close up. In you is all of heaven. Every leaf that falls is given life in you. Each bird that ever sang will sing again in you. And every flower that ever bloomed has saved its perfume and its loveliness for you. What aim can supersede the will of God and of his son that heaven be restored to him for whom it was created as his only home? Nothing before and nothing after it. No other place, no other state nor time, nothing beyond nor nearer, nothing else in any form. This can you bring to all the world and all the thoughts that entered it and were mistaken for a little while. How better could your own mistakes be brought to truth than by your willingness to bring the light of heaven with you as you walk beyond the world of darkness into the light. Thank you, everyone. Stay home. Stay here. Stay home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Don't you slide much. away. Thank you. Thank you. How old? Thank you so much. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.